While getting ready for the new year, I thought I'd end 2019 with a classic theme for this broadcast. Today, a Christian debates an atheist. It's the Right to Reason podcast. Daniel Glover from skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com debates Chris Mallard from the YouTube channel The Daily Atheist. Topics will be the Holy Trinity, the Incarnation of Christ, is the Bible the true inspired Word of God, and did Jesus really rise from the dead? Here we go. This episode of the Right to Reason podcast is brought to you by our patrons and contributors like me. We have all recognized the value of the unrestrained marketplace of ideas and have decided to make a difference. You can make a difference too. Contribute at patreon.com forward slash right and learn more about your right to reason at the right to reason.com. Your activism is appreciated. I think in the first place, uh, biblically speaking, uh, it's important to note that the Bible is more interested in who God is than what God is. Um, so it focuses on his extrinsic relations to, to Israel or to creation. Um, you know, he's the sole creator, sustainer, and, and the sole ruler of the universe. It's not until later on that Christians start to focus on, well, what does this biblical data mean when it tells us there are three individuals, but yet there's one divine identity, one per thing named Yahweh. Um, and this is where Christians typically come in and say, well, look, uh, God is three persons and one substance or one being. In this case, um, there are fundamentally two different ways of looking at this. So there are antisocial or Latin Trinitarian models. Uh, these sort of stress the oneness of the being of God. And then there are social Trinitarians, which stress the distinctness of the three individuals. And that's the model that I take. So rather than spend a lot of time getting into all the various models, my, my model in particular is called Trinity monotheism. So this, this says that there's only one God, and that's the Trinity. That, uh, the Godhead, that is God proper. So God the Father is not God. God the Son is not God. Uh, God the Holy Spirit is not God. Only the Trinity together is God. And each of the three persons, you know, they, they are a set of rational faculties or minds uh, sufficient for personhood, and they all exist within this one soul. Uh, so just a quick analogy is the pagan dog Kerberos, right? He's, he's one dog being, he's even got a name like Yahweh, we call him Kerberos. One substance, but he has three heads, he has three uh, sets of faculties sufficient for dog personhood. And I submit this is what the Trinity is, just kill it so it's not a physical substance, but it's a soul. And instead of having faculties sufficient for dog personhood, it, it's a full, full-on person, you know, free will, uh, moral agent, whatever you want to say a person is. So that's my fundamental model in a nutshell for the Trinity. Quickly, in terms of the incarnation, this basically says that God the Son was one person and he had two natures. So a nature is basically refers to all the essential properties that uh, a, a type of thing has or a kind of thing has, right? So all the divine uh, essential properties. And in addition, Jesus gained all additional properties that are essential to humanity. So I say, yeah, Jesus in his pre-incarnate state is a person. He is one of the three persons in the, the soul, the Trinity. And at one point during the incarnation, he acquires a human body governed by a human genome. And that's what in a, that's what's essential to humanity, in my view, is you are a, a person or a mind that becomes embodied in a physical substance governed by the human genome. Bada boom, bada bing, you, you don't lose any of your divine attributes. Uh, at the same time, you gain the essential property of being of, of humanness or being a human type of thing. Now, there is one final aspect here that has to be incorporated in the model. Now, Jesus doesn't exemplify all of the divine, essential divine properties. So he, the Bible says he doesn't know things. Certainly, he feels pain and, and stuff like that. He's not actively omnipotent and that sort of thing. Although at some times he does. Some, sometimes he does display, like he prophesies or stuff like that, or he has supernatural powers and that sort of thing. So I say that the divine nature was subliminal during his time of humiliation on earth. You know, it was, he was subconsciously omniscient and, and sometimes subcon your subconscious will leak through and he'll, he'll make a prophetic announcement or he'll teach his teaching uh, with divine authority and that sort of thing. To illustrate that, an, an analogy would be the movie Avatar. Human beings, had they have their human nature, they, they become subconscious and then their conscious mind takes over a, a body governed by the Navi genome. 
So he has both a Navi nature and a human nature at the same time, but he's still one person. And I submit that that's kind of what happened in God's case. Jesus was a, a mind. He took on a human, he became embodied and therefore took on the human nature. Yeah, and I'll, I'll leave it at that for, for now. We can get into more details. Okay, that's interesting. I have some questions, but that's that's very interesting. Well, okay, so I just wanted to ask, for, for, just to clarify. So you do believe in the Trinity, God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And you also believe Jesus was God incarnate. Those two, those two are your two starting yeah. points. Okay, okay, that's great. And see, the reason why I kind of ask is because is that is that what we're going to debate about is whether or not that's real or not or whether or not you believe that's real obviously i don't believe in any of it at all so i can't really all right so i'm not going to acquiesce and say okay well i think jesus was god but not on tuesdays as part of god you know you know what i mean i i can't really argue against the fact that you believe that god jesus and the holy spirit are one and the same does that does that make sense because to me, none of it is real. We'd have a hard time merely establishing the fact that Jesus existed at all. I, mean, I listened to your previous debate on that subject. I thought that was quite interesting, the mythicism debate. Um, well, you know, we'd have a hard time just proving he was real at all, let alone proving he was divine absolutely in nature. Uh, yeah, so, so I, I fully agree with you. So my intent here isn't to demonstrate that my model is in fact true. I can think of maybe a, a couple ways I can go about it, but um, it would be hard, right? So. I'm just, I'm just sort of trying to say that these doctrines are coherent. So in terms of a, a demonstrative aspect, it, it passes a falsification test, if you will. Um, you know, if you could show something is logically incoherent, then that would prove it's false. That's sort of my intent. If you want to get into demonstrating that my specific model is actually true, that's a little bit more iffy ground because there, there are other plausible models that are, are coherent as well. You know, I could try to give some parts of that, but that, that wasn't my focus. Well, you know, in my study for this, I've, I've kind of come across, there seems to be quite a few different schools of thought concerning the Trinity. Obviously, my position is going to be it's all nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So, in my preparation for this, I was thinking, all right, so how do I go into this? Do I go into this? And I saw, I researched it. Do I want to follow or argue against the Arian view, or do I want to argue against the, uh, which one was it? The partialism. I think yours is partialism, right? God is part here, part there, part everywhere. Now, at one point you even said that all you have to have all three to have the whole, right? Isn't that what you said? Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. So in that case, then that kind of defeats the whole God is everywhere thing, because Jesus is obviously not here with me in this room physically. And therefore, by that argument, that kind of falls apart because he's not here. You might be able to claim that the Holy Spirit is technically here, and God, God, be, would be here but then to, to act to, to make that part that you said come to fruition jesus would technically have to be here as well and he's not that i'm not aware of that'd be creepy so you, you see what i mean whenever you claim that there are all three and then of course whenever you start to claim i can even go with you if you want to go it's, it's kind of like a comic book you know you've invited me over to your house and we're going to talk about your favorite comic book which you believe to be true and now i'm put on the spot well do i believe that superman is god or is Superman separate from God? Or Superman separate from God and also the Holy Spirit? Are they all one? Are they all, well, I don't believe any of it, really. And, and the burden of proof is just to prove Superman exists at all, but it's all just a comic book. Does that make sense? It, it does, yeah. And this, this is the criticism I, I got from most of the skeptics on, on my show. Um, well, well let, me, let me start here. Uh, taking out this uh, omnipresence thing for a second, because that, that might be something. But do you... Forget about whether it's true or not. Do, do you think that my model is, is coherent, um, or does it smack of incoherence in any way? Or do you, oh do you, no, yeah, yeah. You sound great. You know, I tell you, it, it sounds like, if nothing else, you truly believe your model and what's going on and it's probably laid out very well it's just again it's all and this comic book we're talking about our, our closest when we talk about jesus and even with whether or not he's real the closest people to have you know nobody actually saw the movie who wrote the books it's like somebody saw the movie and then they grew old and told us what they saw in the movie to somebody else and then they died and somebody else went along and wrote down you know what i mean so then to carry that, all right, but, but if you want to go on and say that Jesus and God, I can, let's, let's go ahead and work forward and say that they are the same, okay? If they are the same, then we have to talk about how Jesus, being God in the Old Testament, murdered babies. Oh, okay, well, well, I would say this, so they're, they're not the same, they're not identical, right? Like, he, 
each uh, each of the persons is a distinct individual. That this is a a clear thing. Um, and this fun to Go use ahead. your Cerberus analogy. Then let's do that. Then while one head of Cerberus was eating babies, the other one sat there and just did nothing. That kind of <laughs> yeah. Kind of when we look at the Old Testament, God in the Old Testament really does a lot of really, really rough things. And if God and Jesus, and they're all the same, then that means Jesus did those things. And Jesus is supposed to be the lamb, the merciful, the, you know, they yeah, just so, kind of don't jive. Yeah, so so no, I, I absolutely, they, they're all fully on board. Jesus wasn't just uh, sitting back and, and watching these things. He approved of them. He, he agreed with them uh, as well, right? So, <laughs> right. And, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That they're all on the same. They're all on the same side in terms of the actions of God the Father in the in the Old Testament. Just like uh, God the Father approves of everything that Jesus did. That they're, they're all the same in that sense. But I'm just saying in an ontological sense, they're not identical. They're, they're different people. They have different properties. So so God the Son has the property of being incarnate. God the Father does not have that property. And in, well, in wait, God, God the Father starts out incarnate. He is what is incarnate. In order for Jesus to be incarnate, he has to be partly God, right? So to say God is not incarnate would be to say God is not omniscient and God, right? Well, no, it was, no, like incarnate means you become, uh, you take on the human flesh. Oh, oh, oh I see. I, my apologies. I misunderstood what you said. Carry on then. No worries. Um, so, so um, well, in that case, then God did, didn't he? <laughs> Through Jesus. <laughs> well, okay, so you've got to study part overly. God the Son did. God the Father didn't. God the Holy Spirit didn't. Um, they have different properties, and in one sense, you could say, well, God, in terms of the Trinity, right, with the Trinity monotheism, God has the property of, of having two person, two divine persons without a human nature, and he has the property of one divine person that has a human nature. Right. And that, that doesn't violate the logical law of non-contradiction or anything like that. I guess it doesn't. That sounds very logical. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just... <laughs> It just seems convenient that sometimes God is God and God is not Jesus and God is Jesus and other times God is the Holy Spirit and Jesus and Jesus is God. It's a matter of convenience. When when Jesus and God and they're all one and the same and no, it's like they're all in the same text group. So when you text one, you text them all and they know instantly what's going on. But, you know, they're not the same person, but they know the same thing at the same time. But then whenever we start talking about what Jesus did, oftentimes, now I think you're one of the first ones who ever said, yeah, Jesus just kicked back and watched all of them. <laughs> Murder, death, kill in the Old Testament. That's, that's hilarious. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say he just kicked back. I, I actually think uh, he was active in doing stuff. So, like, the, the Old Testament will say God, no one can see God face to face and live. But then there's various accounts where people see God face to face and they live, and, and they're even shocked about it. Um, so I, I would say what they're seeing is Jesus in that case. So, so it's not that Jesus is totally inactive. He's he's doing stuff even in the Old Testament. Right. Of course, it, there's there's never any mention of him being Jesus. I mean, I, you know, there's often times where an angel goes beforehand or the, the spirit of the Lord moves and goes before God does something. I get all that. And that could be attributed to anything. You know, even in the Old Testament, they said he called out his name Emmanuel. And then nowhere in the New Testament does he refer to himself as Emmanuel. It's like you're trying to shoehorn him into certain parts of the Old Testament where he wasn't really there. You know, so in one part of the Bible, it says that God was going to destroy this town and send an angel forth before, or, or a spirit, or the Holy Spirit, or whatever. And because somebody in that town saw that, we well, now you're saying he saw Jesus. Yeah. Right? It, it's just shoehorning him into any of those places that doesn't have a specific name. It, if it doesn't specifically say Bob the angel was here, then you're left open to presume it was Jesus. If any time it says the spirit of the Lord or the Lord, then Jesus, but then they don't. He never introduces himself as Jesus. He never talks. You know, it's just a convenience there. It's like a plot twist in the whole comic book thing. Yes, it's true that his name, the, the name Jesus, came about only in the New Testament. But it, I mean, what what's in a name or whatever? I mean, in the Old Testament, it's like saying, well, the Yahweh was never present in the book of Genesis because they call him Elohim. Only Moses got to know his real name, Yahweh. But it, it's the same person that's doing stuff. It's just... People have multiple names, or they can take on, they can change their names uh, and stuff like that. So it's just a fuller revelation of okay, he becomes incarnate, he gains the name Jesus. And in terms of Emmanuel, that's more of um, it, it means God with us, as you know. So it's names in the new in the Old Testament or in the ancient Near East take on significance that that they're not necessarily literally saying you are going to be born with the proper noun. Emmanuel or something. They can also represent attributes that you will have. Um, so that there's other prophecies that say 
he will be this divine child will be named uh, everlasting father. Well, he was never called everlasting father. I mean, right. is this just kind of shoehorning your Messiah? Matter of fact, I remember right, there were quite a few different messiahs going around back in the day, people claiming to be you know talking to god you know what there was one of polyanus is that was that his name but you know there was quite a few of them, like rock stars to, to claim that you were the new messiah was to claim you're a rock star and they had followings and all this stuff and it, it sounds like down the way and we can even consider if we, obviously we don't have time to do it this time but we can consider in the future perhaps looking at uh, some of the evidence we have for the writings of when all these things happen and it's it's all it clearly is just made up stories one right after another after another um not really just because they say they true they're true doesn't mean they're true kind of nature and then there's also things in the bible that is god jesus we talk about him being separate and the same thing well we, one second we're conveniently talking about they're the same thing they're of the same mind and then they're not and then you know in the bible it says god is god he's always been god what is malachi wrote it down for i am the lord i do not change he says he does not change and then Jesus, in Hebrews, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you have two clearly separate identities, and now you go to your side to use wordplay to determine how they are the same and yet not the same. In terms of God's changing, I, I don't believe in God's immutability, um, but there are clear, there's at least five ways that God has said not to change. He doesn't change, change in terms of his character. He doesn't change in terms of the fulfillment of his promises and stuff right, like that. That's a distinct change in character between God OT and Jesus New T, right? That's no, very I, distinct. You don't I, think there? I don't think that there is a change in, in terms of character. They're, they're one consistent. Well, Jesus in the New Testament talked about peace and love and forgiveness, and Jesus, the God of the Old Testament, was separate yourself from these people that I might rent them asunder. And he did that quite a lot, oftentimes. So, yeah, but. God of the Old Testament also talked about peace and all of this as well. And well, yeah, Jesus once all your enemies had, are dead, you have peace. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, it, it's, no, they're, they're talking, yes, the, the enemies will be defeated, the enemies of God and that sort of thing, but it's all. it also talks about redeeming humanity. The, old, the entire history, salvation history, is about redeeming humanity and creation. The redemption of humanity is just the first step to redeeming all of creation, because we are the stewards of, of creation. So, uh, it talks about beating your 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 swords into plowshares and, and stuff like that. And on the same token, Jesus has some very harsh uh, things to say about judgment, more more so than the Old Testament does. He he talks about hell. He talks about you know how it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than these hypocrites, the Pharisees, and that sort of thing. So that there is divine judgment uh, and mercy and compassion. They're two sides of the same coin, and I would say it's consistent in both the old and the New Testament on, on that front. In terms of your, your second objection about, okay, so, so I'm glad that you say that the model that I outlined seems coherent, that that sort of removes everything I, I plan to talk about. So I'll try to go with the, the demonstrating aspect of that. Here's, here's one argument that I could try to, to establish that there is a trinity. It, it won't necessarily establish my model of it, but it'll establish there should be a trinity if it works. So, Let's pretend I've established through the ontological argument that there's a maximal great being, that there's a God. We can call him God the Father. Now, God the Father is a maximal great being. Being loving, it's, it sounds to me like you think loving is a great making property. So there would have to be at least another person for him to actively love and for that person to love in return. But the, the problem is, well, that's selfish love, right? You, you're, maybe you're just loving this person because you want to receive love yourself. So in that case, there would have to be at least a third person that loves that person you love and, and they love that third person without having you to be involved, without needing you to be involved. So that, that's three is the minimal number for selfless love to be actualized. Why do we limit, limit it to three? Well, Occam's razor, the, the simplest answer, the, the least amount of things needed to exemplify selfless love is, is three. So we just go with that. Um, that, that might, again, that, that's contingent on me establishing that God does exist through the ontological argument, but what do you make of, make of that? Would that demonstrate it? Or? Well, you know, the, really, man, I gotta say, there's a lot of if coming off of that, you know? Let's yeah. pretend, right? We start with let's pretend. Okay, well, let's pretend. And then you start, you go to, well, if and this, and if and that. Well, yeah, if you have God, and if God wants to love, and if and this and this, and then we're basing like the entire balance of the universe on love and God and whether he needs another person to love and it really sounds just like a lot of that 
I mean, hypothetical. Oh, sure, sure. It does sound good. It sounds like, you know, logically it's sound. Odin didn't want to be alone, and therefore he created Thor so he could have somebody to love, and somehow there's this mystical creature between the two of them that's not them, that's the same one, and they are all love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. It sounds cool. It's just that it's, 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 it's exactly that, though. It's, I mean, first of all, there's not a lot that I, I could actually say that you probably have proof of in any way, uh, any, even in the biblical text, that those are the cases. Um, and then in my limited research, I, I did find out that there, this is kind of like a ball that's been tossed around in, in Christian circles for a long time. How God is God a star, and we feel Jesus is the heat, and the, the Holy Spirit oh, is yeah. the light. You know, I mean, there's just, but nowhere in the Bible does it say God is the star and Jesus is the light. And you know what, so there's no proof. It's all, what the deal is, is, is somewhere, Stan Lee wrote these things down, and you know somebody who you know the the what Hanna Barbera, another creator, also said, hey, you know what? There's a guy over there creating. He wrote about Thor. That's interesting. And now because this other guy who didn't actually believe in Thor wrote about Thor, we should believe in Thor, right? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you're. I think you're right. But, but this is still huge, right? Because there there are a lot of skeptics that take um, that will say that. Even the concept, on a conceptual level, whether it's true or not, these note these doctrines of the Trinity and Incarnation are incoherent, and and you don't be so so great that that's 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 some progress. So it all hinges on well, can I establish these givens? Can I establish that a maximal great being exists or that God exists? And and that's really where you know that that's a, a debate for another day, I guess, or or that's where our difference comes in. But you at least give me if I can get you God. And yeah, it makes sense to talk about the Trinity uh, and the Incarnation, whether it's true or not. And that was sort of my aim in, in this show, is just to get that that point out. Right, and I can I can admit that that's kind of what I say. I'm, I'm agreeing that your logic is sound and that you put your A, B, and C together concerning how in your, forgive the expression, comic book, your imaginary person goes from one to two to three I, I can agree that your logic is indeed sound whenever you apply that to actual I, as a as a person if i were looking at it maybe from the faith or something but logically though realistically it, it doesn't it doesn't none of it does, as a realistic observation because it's all it's all really just words and they're not even the words that the bible told you so even then what you and all these people who believe in the trinity are they're equivocating and trying to find ways i even found an argument for you in the john 1 14 it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the begotten father therefore it tells you right there john says that uh, God and Jesus are the same thing. God came down in Jesus' form. Kind of says it right there. Woohoo! That's great. Who's John though? Let's let's examine John for a little while. Who wrote the book of John? You know what I mean? Who did all these things? And we know it wasn't John. So whenever you well, really apply a good eye, and even if it was, let's let's pretend. I, I'll, I'll go with you. Let's pretend it was John. Literally has John written at the bottom. John the guy. I got my head cut off just after I wrote this book. Let's say he wrote that. That doesn't mean it's true. Okay. All it means is a believer, somebody who believed in that, was sitting there and did it. We got that right now. We got people who are on the streets. They're holding their sign up, going, "The end is near." You know, God is going to punish you. And if anything bad happens to that city, then afterwards they're going, wow, look, I told you, I told you, I told you. But they, they have no idea what happened, no idea what's going on. They can blame God and take credit for it, but it's all just somebody's imagination. It's just a story. And there's no proof that any of it is real. If God and Jesus wanted to give us the word, this is the word of God, the very word of God in the Bible. How come it doesn't tell us to boil water? Okay, so I mean, why doesn't it tell us useful things like not to have slaves? Oh well, it, it does indirectly, but but okay. So so I would hear... actually it more condone slavery than it does oh. banishing. As a matter of fact, God Himself allows the Jews to be caught into slavery several times because they don't bend to His will. Uh, Jesus comes out and allows. That's not condone. He permits slavery, but and that's not a that's not a distinction without a difference. That that is important. But I, I do want to get back to your point here related to the Trinity. So. Number one, you're right. I, I did. This is why I did three shows on my thing with sources. I quote Bart Ehrman. I, I give entire chapters of their books on, on these topics. So my entire notion of what the Trinity is is based on what the Bible tells me. And the Bible tells us there are three divine individuals who share a divine identity uh, as as God, as one being named Yahweh or God. Um, now, some skeptics might say, well, no, this is probably false because. Great, you've got it in John, but that contradicts the Gospel of Mark, or 
Paul didn't teach uh, what you're saying. So, so this would be something that you could use to falsify my, my model. Um, secondly, on verifying. Oh, sorry, but two, 2,000 years from now, if one person wants to quote Stan Lee because he believes everything Stan Lee wrote now, that, who am I to argue with? This is your your fantasy. I, sure, if you want to believe that the Holy Spirit and Jesus were the same and you don't have a problem with the idea that Jesus murdered babies and did all the things that we, you know, how the skeptics go there, that's great. I mean, you and I, are, we're making progress. That is progress. It, yeah, like, I I don't have a problem in the sense that it's immoral in my view, but I, I mean, obviously... Well, it wouldn't be that if, if God condoned it, it wouldn't be immoral. If you're exactly if you're yeah. a lot from him, yeah, yeah, I get that. Okay, so so in terms of verifying, though, how, how about this then? So I can prove indirectly that the Trinity is true. Um, if if I can prove that the Bible teaches this stuff, and, and you seem happy to go, yeah. But if I have ways, which I do, I claim I have about uh, three to four positive evidences that provide me with warrant to think that Christianity is true. Then from that, I can establish that the Bible is sufficiently attached to the truth of Christianity. And then from that, I, I get everything. I get the virgin birth. I, you know, I, I can't demonstrate that in isolation, but I can indirectly through saying, well, it's in the Bible, and the Bible is sufficiently attached to this religion that I have evidence that I think proves this religion is true. Um, would that be a way forward to, to demonstrate this in your view? Or? Uh, well, again, there's a lot of if in there, but then I could demonstrate how there were religions who came before your religion who claimed virgin birth, who claimed the religion. I mean, we can sort of like the Christmas holidays, how the Christians stole things from the pagans. The very same way, all of those little or a great many of those stories about Jesus were taken from uh, previous religions about, the, like I said, the virgin birth and all those things. There's quite a few of them, the, the three wise men coming to see him, the Decalogue. You get all that from Egypt a thousand years before Jesus. So if you can prove that, then I can prove mine, and you have nothing. Your religion is based on tales that people stole from other people. So that's, so that's not true. Uh, there are no virgin births outside of Christianity, uh, unless you want to call rock a rock a virgin. Okay. Um, like, I, I know these myths, but, but okay, let, let me take this at face value. So when you're evaluating... Well, why, why do Christians preach uh, abstinence, then, if their entire religion is based on virgin birth? That's just a side, just, sorry, that's a side question. Maybe we should address that one later. We'll mark that down as a whole debate. Yeah, Carry on, brother. Sure. Oh, no worries. And yeah, that's a good question. And I would just say she was still a virgin. She didn't have sex. So that, that would be my, my answer. That abstinence is sustained in that case. But um, yeah, that my, my point, when we study religions, um, that you're absolutely right. There are positive and negative evidences. And you need to factor all of that in. You can't just look at the, the positive ones or you can't just look at the negative ones. You, you need to assess all of them in, in full context. And then in terms of my view, I, I plug that into Bayes' theorem. I assign normative probability values to each factor. So like, you know, you the virgin birth, you might say, well, it's copied from pagan myths. Let's pretend that's true for a second. I, I, I don't admit that, but if that's true, great. That would be a negative evidence that, well, hey, this is not factual. This is an error in the Bible. It's a, a copied myth. It's not true history. And, you know, that might prove Christianity is false to some, to some degree, if true. Um, so that would be, need to be weighed against any positive evidences I would do. And overall, if, if you find out that Christianity is probably true, then, okay, then it's a matter of establishing the Bible is sufficiently attached to that truth of that religion. And then, bada boom, bada bing, I've, I've got all the other doctrines, including the Trinity and Incarnation, which maybe I can't prove directly through philosophical argument or something like that. I see. Live Science ran an article, I'll send it over a link over, where at least six other claims of virgin birth have happened. Here's just Horus from the ancient Egyptians. This is just the very first example is Horus from the, you know, a thousand years before Christ. One example, you can get the Decalogue from the ancient Egyptians too, you know, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. They had a ten rules you don't break too. Stolen. All of it's stolen. All these things are stolen from previous religions. And, you, you know, you use apparently a lot of logic and reason to reason your faith and why your 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 the, the particular branches of your your faith that you believe which is all really heresy to be honest mm -hmm. is it is it uh, did you listen to my show do you, do you know the difference between a damnable heresy and, and just heresy or i don't know if you listen okay. i want to listen to that one because i find that very interesting but anyway it is heresy okay. either way but it's all again um it would be nice to see you apply that same logic to these other religions how can you can you prove for me that osiris didn't exist can you use the same logic on horus 
to prove that Horus exists that you're using to back up Jesus's claims. We know we've got these scrolls over here that tell the story of the Horus, and we've you know the the the, the story of the dead, for example, the the book of the dead telling the afterlife. We've got we've got that, and then you know, hey, look over here, a thousand miles away in a different place, they too also had the book of the dead. That must make it true. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, I. I can't you both you can theoretically and i did in actual practice apply my method uh for analyzing the the veracity of a religion to various world religions um i i I have also studied jesus mythicism um so yeah i I do i haven't done a a proper show on it um like a solo show on the refuting the you know jesus the copycat thesis or whatever where with all these alleged parallels and that sort of thing but yeah i'll just say that there is no comparable virgin birth there wasn't a a virgin um there wasn't a a resurrection of osiris uh in the same sense that there was with jesus um a lot of these alleged parallels fall apart when you actually read the primary sources and read the actual stories as they are and they were walking distance from the ancient egyptians that's true. Yeah. You know, so how did they not? You, I mean, it's hard to imagine they didn't say, and you know, like the golden calf. You can go into the ancient Egyptian religion and see the golden calf. <laughs> you can, that's, yep. it's what, yep. it's Hera. Uh, not Hera, I'm sorry. Um, Hathor, here. Hathor, Hathor, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you, Hathor. So the, the influences are direct and clear. So it's just they stole, I mean, to call it, part of what we're doing now is trying to argue based on things that happened so long ago. And one of the deals about being able to prove your God, your God should be able to speak in a language that transcends time if it were real. You know, why, again, like I said earlier, why didn't he tell us to boil water? Why didn't he tell us to do this? Some people say, oh, well, you, you, we asked the wrong question, so they say it's written in a way non-believers are not meant to understand. That's a bunch of crap, because it's supposed to be the word of God, the very word of God. And you would think that there would be lessons in there that would be better than you know, don't boil a kid in the milk of its own mother and stuff, stuff like that. Old Testament, you would think you you would have that opportunity. Now you can argue that he was talking to people in tents. Well, you know, there was a fraction of the number of people, a tiny, tiny, tiny little fraction of the number of people around at that time who they were talking to, who understood those things, and billions and billions of people later who don't and have to have interpreters and different things to figure out what the heck the God of the time was saying. So you would think, one would think that using that kind of logic, that an all-knowing, all-seeing knows the beginning. To the end kind of god would you know he would know jesus's name back in the old testament he wouldn't have to shoehorn it in later and give imaginary imagine uh, imaginative reasons as to how this fits no it all makes sense it makes perfect and clear sense and you wouldn't have to brainwash your kids just expose it and the natural world would reveal itself to them but that's not the case it's like this congested convoluted you know there's a place on the internet called bibviz.org where they have all the contradictions and the perfect and unerring word of god you know at one point in the bible it says don't do this. And another point in the Bible, it says, do this. Jesus said, do it. Moses said, don't do it. Who, how do you trust now? Yeah, well, I'm trying to remember your, your substantive point. So, so the first thing I remember is, so yes, definitely there's progressive revelation. That is undeniable. God doesn't spill all the beans at once. And I think oh, that's... But there's no beans. Now, whenever God, somebody comes out and claims they're God, we think they're crazy. The same thing that would have happened back then at the time. You know, somebody, they're, they're, well, of course, they have to have proof. Now, they can come along and say they split the moon in half, but we don't really believe that, right? We don't believe that because we don't see the evidence of it. There's no evidence. The the, speak, I, I, the one point you can address if you want to is the whole, why didn't God speak in a language that everybody could understand? So so I think he did, actually. I, I do think that the Bible transcends time, uh, but at the same time, he does condescend to the culture so that there are what I call for negative evidences against religions. Um, you know, there's inerrancy issues, there's moral misapprehensions. These are my labels that I, I evaluated. Uh, but there's also the human factor. So that's commands that don't seem like they come from from God. They, they seem like they're based in the human culture, like don't boil a kid in its mother's milk, some stuff like that. These kosher laws, they're, they're petty. They, they don't seem to, these aren't transcendent. Wow, the creator of the universe gave it to us. And yeah, so, so these are human factors. And, and the answer is, yeah, God is condescending to the culture at which he's interacting with, and he's providing truths to progress towards salvation history that speak to them so that they they would accept it. Uh, I mean, if God just gave them E equals MC squared, they, they wouldn't understand that or accept it. They might even throw the, the scriptures away and just say, this is just a bunch of gobbledygook. I, I, don't, I can't even conceptually get my, my head around it. So he, he's got to speak in a way that speaks to them 
and still speaks to us. I, I mean, I mean, there are a lot of basics you could have gone, just like I said, boiling water. And, you know, speaking to the basics, again, I'm back to my point. When you're speaking to the basics, how many people are we talking about? A, f- a few tribes of hundreds of people tops at the time. And we're going to, we're going to, maybe thousands of people, who knows. And, but yet the billions of people later who don't even speak the same language have no idea. They have to have, they, we have to rely on other people's interpretation. And there, there's that human factor you're talking about. Lots and lots and lots of human factor. And then to come across and, to, to talk to somebody as well-read and as intelligent as yourself and to imagine how somebody like you can go through that and pick through all of that crap, stuff that people, men, have put in there and still manage to believe any of it, that's kind of, that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. I wanted to talk to, to you and go, wow, why would you possibly believe this stuff? Clearly, clearly you've thought a lot about it. I try, yeah, I've done the best I, I possibly can. So Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that coming from you. Um, okay, well, well, let me answer, answer this first with the boiling of the water. Why would you expect God to reveal that? Like his his main purpose, which is explicit and, and clear. Well, how many but, people suffered? How many people suffered horrible, horrible deaths because simply they didn't boil their water throughout history? You can just imagine if you're going to teach all of mankind, all of your people a lesson. That one lesson would have certainly done better than you. Thou shalt not worship any god before than other than me. If you were to put those two lessons, which one's going to benefit mankind and save babies, dude? Who's going to save babies the most? Yep. Boiling your water would have done better for mankind. So, so I would just challenge you. That's not his purpose. He, he's not revealing scripture for the sole purpose of alleviating immediate suffering and that sort of thing. I mean, he, even if he gave us boiled water, I mean, my goodness, there's so much other things he should reveal to us to prevent suffering as well. His purpose is to achieve. The, the maximum number of free persons uh, achieving their salvation, being redeemed from the curse of sin. And that's wonderful. The more people who survive past the age of ascension or past childhood, the more people he'd have. You know what I mean? It, the, not necessarily. Well, I guess not. No, like babies in heaven, they're fun. <laughs> I'm sure he wants back. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah, like it, it's this gets into sort of my answer. We 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 have no way of understanding the various causal chains. If you Let's pretend you, I have no idea how old you are, but let's let's say you die at the age of 80. But if only you lived to the age of 90, you would have become a Christian. Uh, no, we have no way of knowing that. You, you, pretend he told us E equals MC squared, he told us how to boil water, he gave us all the scientific stuff to alleviate immediate earthly suffering. How many souls would have been saved if he had done that? We Maybe less, maybe only two people would ever get saved because, hey, life's so good, I don't need God, I'm going to throw away the Bible and stuff like that. So like, we, we have no idea of predicting but yep. we, we literally have an example of this very thing, and you and I have both mentioned it, where God said in the Bible, do not boil a kid in the milk of its own mother. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, that, Why? That's, so those, laws, those human factors are to demarcate Israel. Obviously, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's, that's useless to anybody outside of that little group. Useless. You could have used, done anything better to serve man. Um, yeah, and, and he's not. He, he's not. That, that isn't a health Thing. There's nothing unhealthy about boiling a kid in its mother's milk or something like that. Um, he, he, these kosher laws are meant to demarcate Israel. We are not the pagan nations. We don't do the things that they are. They do. We are a chosen people set apart. And, and they did signify differences to the pagan surrounding nations and to Israel. It's this, this right, but it's been useless for people ever since. For millions, literally billions of people have come and gone, and this has no that pertains nothing to them. It doesn't even serve as a good example because most of you don't even know who they are. You know, and I, I, my only point really wasn't to get into a whole long, drawn-out story example about who this was. It was really about you could, if you're going to speak to your people, there are better things you could say than what's in the Bible. Well, but better, and it depends for what ends. And, and I'm, I'm saying no, you, you couldn't. The, the Bible is perfect for achieving the ends of having the maximum number of people freely choose to, to get saved. Yeah, well, even in that camp context, that's not true. Because if it were that way, if that were the, the Bible were so pure and so perfect and so true, there would be no question. Everybody would be Christian. Certainly by now, there wouldn't be Muslims. All, what it would, all it would take would be exposure to the pure, perfect Word of God. But it's so convoluted and written in so many different ways that you got to have people explain it to you. Remember, we're talking about the perfect Word of God here, and yet people can't understand it. We have to have man's interference, not only – especially when it comes to Jesus Christ. We didn't even have – it's not even the words of Jesus Christ. And you know, by the way, I heard you – I was listening yeah. to your debate with um, uh, Kevin, yeah. and you, you he kind of had you on the fence about not having – why isn't there anything to prove Jesus was real? Why aren't there any artifacts or anything like that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I kind of uh, – 
to be honest, in that particular case, you should have won that because there are tons and tons and tons of artifacts. You just apparently didn't know. I just did a, an, a video called uh, about the manger relics. I saw relics, and we got relics all over the place about Jesus. So, based on the on conversation I had with you and him, if you were going to go on whether relics were around to prove Jesus was real, he, although he was the most aggressive, he was clearly wrong. And he kept saying, no, nobody ever, you know, Jesus didn't make a stool. Well, there's probably a stool. There's manger grass. There's Jesus' tip of his penis. You know what I mean? Oh, my they God. got things. <laughs> well, so, so no, no. So I sort of failed a bit, uh, even though people didn't notice it with Kevin Fran. So, like, he, he's going by Jesus' the rock star model. And you said that, too. That's totally false. He's, I mean, how many scarves is, uh, it's not like he has millions of clothes and he's selling it. He's a, a poor, relatively poor preacher. He's more like the Dalai Lama. I don't see the Dalai Lama scarves on eBay. They um, are. The, the, the Catholic Church has at least three different crowns of thorns allegedly worn by Jesus. When he re- so somebody had to collect that stuff. They have like a dozen different nails. So I'm, so I'm getting to the relics. They're all fake. They don't exist from the time of Jesus. That they, Well, they, they are, right? If you add up all of the splinters from the cross of Christ, you'd have enough for like a thousand crosses. Um, <laughs> these are... There are lots of fakes, so I, I don't believe any of them were preserved, so they're just totally meaningless. That There is that one relic. I, I believe the Shroud of Turin is authentic, um, but again, that supports me. They didn't keep that. They got rid of it. It went to Odessa and, that, and had its history there. And almost all of these various things are the same whenever you talk about relics. Oh, yeah, this relic, we know it was here. It was it managed to survive the sacking of the city. And I'm like, wait, 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 it survived the sacking? How do we, you know, there's no validation through any of that. So then my deal is with you, and you're in cases like yours exactly, this is a perfect example. It's exemplative. Take that same careful eye and apply it to the actual scriptures. I mean, perhaps you have, you know? Yeah. Uh, but whenever I think about the scriptures, you know, Paul writes an awful lot about Jesus and what happened with you. But Paul never met Jesus. Never met him. Never, never met him. Never. And yet, who, well, you know, like the Garden of Gethsemane. Who wrote the Garden of Gethsemane? Paul wrote that. But Paul wasn't there. So how could Paul have written written that you know it's paul all these call, or whomever if i remember it's been a day or three since i looked into it. i'm pretty sure it was paul no maybe it's peter are you talking about where jesus uh was sweating blood in the garden right before his crucifixion yes i remember it's been a day or three since i looked at it whoever wrote that book was not there so if you go look at the the list of people who are in that book that person who wrote it is who is credited with writing that book is not there so the person who wrote about and even if he was there allegedly jesus went up by himself to talk to god how and left the other people down by themselves and they fell asleep and jesus kept coming down and getting on to him for falling asleep so none of them would have been there to hear him talking to god let alone write it down so how can you not apply that same kind of skepticism that you do with the relics to that very kind of thing right there so, so I do actually, and and there's actually I did a show with Dr. Lydia McGrew, who she's very more conservative than me. I, I actually think that the Bible has errors, and and I think that there are some speeches that if we went in a trap in a time machine, Jesus didn't say that. He said something like it. But in terms of them coming to knowledge of things where they're not even present, that's that's pretty easy. There are various ways I can think of how that came, especially when we're talking about inspired authors but don't have the validity of that though now we're talking about this guy had to one of the guys who was there had to tell somebody else who had to tell somebody else to write it down and at no point in that do you not find that that could not be real well of course of course it could be real but if if you as a remember how the burden of proof works if if you are as a skeptic are, are saying this isn't real i know it's not real because how on earth could they have been granted access to that information well i just propose an equally probable explanation well Jesus rose from the dead, so if that happened, then he could have relayed some information to them, or they could have received it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or maybe, you know, that That's guy... That's not equally probable. Oh. It's not. I mean, Jesus rising from the dead is extremely improbable. You know, it's not It's not as likely to happen. So, no, it is more probable, but yes, I, I would probably, I would need to prove... Well, no, even if you're... How... Okay, so you're the skeptic making a claim that... Um, this account is improbable because how would they get their information? Pretend the only way they could have get, gotten that information is if the resurrected Jesus told them that this is what I said in the Garden of Gethsemane. You say that's improbable. Prove it. What is it that makes Jesus being supernaturally raised from the dead by God improbable? What what reasons do you have to give me? No. Uh, you said it was equally probable. What I was saying was it was not. it's more improbable than just Bob telling Steve who told this. That's that's more believable than to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which is more likely to happen if we talk on a scale of likelihood. 
Jesus rose from the dead and told somebody something, or somebody saw it in the garden, or Jesus, maybe Jesus told somebody down in the garden afterwards before the Romans came. I don't know. Maybe he told them, hey, God, is that, you know, anything to where he relayed that person, and we wrote it down. Obviously, Jesus rising from the dead is less probable than um, a telephone-esque kind of Bob told Steve, who told Peter, who told Paul, who wrote it down. Which do you think is more probable? So a priori, as of, I, I always start in the default position of agnosticism. I, I'm a blank slate as much as possible. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, when I get into these conversations, I don't bring in background knowledge or assumptions. I start as a blank slate. So no, they're all equally possible. This is the principle of indifference in philosophy. We, unless and until you present me with reasons, the person making the claim presents me with reasons to favor one thing over another. So, so. What are you from the dead is actually impossible until you can prove it otherwise. And the proof of burden is on you. It's not improbable. It's not improbable that Jesus rose literally from the dead bodily three days ago. That's impossible. Okay, great. Unless you can prove otherwise. No, no. So I'm blank slate. You're the one making the claim here. No, you're you're (laughs) No, no. Well, who's making the claim? So remember, you said the skeptic is making the claim that this information is false because no one would have no one would have been around, right? Um, and your your basis for that claim is, well, if, if the only way some guy could have gotten information was naturally someone told him or Jesus supernaturally rose from the dead and told him. Um, and then I said, well, the, I don't know until you provide me with proof. I'm, it's equal on both sides. And you say, no, because the resurrection is impossible. Okay, what, what makes it impossible then? Huh? Give me your reason. No, 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 you have to prove it's possible. The burden of proof falls on you. That's the, you can't swing that around on me. You're going to try to get me to prove it's possible or impossible. You're trying to make me prove the impossible. And that's not right. If you're the one who can say you can fly, I can't prove you can't fly, but you need to be able to prove you can fly. And now I'm saying that somebody said they can fly. All I'm saying is that information isn't reliable. I would be more likely to believe what you're saying is if all you did was add an addendum to say, oh, well, uh, Peter told Paul, and he wrote it down. That would be easier to believe than to say that Jesus bodily rose up and later told Paul who wrote it down. So when it comes to the burden of proof, I, I find skeptics misunderstand this constantly on, on my show. So you you agree with the principle of indifference, right? But pretend you're a blank slate, you know nothing about the natural world, how it works, or anything. This is the default state, as best as we possibly can for the sake of a conversation. And if we're saying, well, what's the prior probability of Jesus raising from the dead? If a skeptic makes a claim, well, that's impossible, that's your claim. You bear the burden of proof. Okay, prove to me that miracles or risings from the dead are impossible, not even just improbable, but impossible. Now, if if a Christian, on the other hand, says, hey, Mr. Blank Slate guy, uh, no, resurrections are possible, or the resurrection did happen, then that's a claim for the Christian. He has to bear his burden of proof and prove that Jesus actually rose from the dead and revealed this information. So it's really important to get this this agnost- default state of agnosticism correct. And well, yes. right. Well, we, we, you couldn't even say that Jesus being resurrected was less probable than just a chain of telling other people. Uh, oh, sorry, say that say that again. I couldn't. Well, I mean, my, my really my point was just uh, was just that. If, you, if we were going to go ahead and say that Gethsemane really happened, it would just be easier to say somebody who was there told somebody else who wrote it down. That, that's it. It's, I, could, I could go, okay, check, easy enough. But then you throw in Jesus was resurrected and that that was just as likely probable, right? We're using the word probable. Well, let's use likely, right? It's just as likely as this chain of people. Do you still see it that way? Jesus rising from the dead. You don't see that as any less probable than if you don't see that it is any less probable than just a chain of people telling one or the other, then you're not a blank slate. You came in predisposed, pre-ready to argue, well, obviously, but pre-ready yeah. to argue the point of the resurrection. So it's true as a Christian, but not in the, not in the context of our conversation about the burden of, of proof. Here, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm just, I'm a know-nothing. I, I'm Socrates. I know nothing. I'm just asking so if I, if I say then, all right, fine, maybe through some form of medical science, somebody could be dead for three days and then be resurrected, because we yeah. seem to be hung up on that one little point, even though I can yeah, acquiesce to it and say, <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times I say, okay, that's fine, it seems that we just can't seem to get past it. So Okay, so so sorry that I, I didn't mean to, to get hung up on I just wanted to establish that there, there is a burden of proof on, on both sides, depending on who's making the claim, and, and people try to... To, to fulfill that. So to speak as an atheist, you could say, well, 
the supernatural is improbable because, you know, a supernatural resurrection from the dead is improbable because uh, out of billions of people, God has never raised them from the dead, so it's unlikely he would raise Jesus. Uh, for, yeah, perhaps I should have phrased that. Well, I did. In the origi- originally, I did phrase it as improbable. It would be less likely to. And then I had to, I went ahead and up upped it to impossible to make it to make the divide more clear to hopefully help you understand but that didn't seem to help it just made make you dig in even deeper so i was just trying to get you to agree that one was more likely to be than the other but because you're a believer you know obviously you believe that jesus was recorded so to you by your color of the view of things it's not more likely apparently that's uh, that's actually just the thing chris is is what he's claiming is that he's coming at this completely objectively and I, I know. I'm on your side where I would I would agree that this seems like of course you're not coming at this objective but that to me that's the most fascinating part of this entire conversation which I've, I've enjoyed thoroughly guys I really have it came full circle where you started where you were saying I believe you really really believe this yeah he's so yeah. smart you're brilliant. <laughs> I think you're brilliant dude you're just brilliant I just don't know how you believe this I know how you believe it you would be a powerful ally on our side if we could get you to turn to the dark side. And you know so much about the Bible, you'd be great arguing and debating this side of it. Dale, can I ask you something? Would you say that you think that Chris really doesn't believe, or do you think that he inherently does know God exists somehow? No, I, I've watched his videos. I I believe that there are sincere uh, skeptics. I myself was one for, for years. I, I sincerely didn't believe that Christianity was true. I don't think that you uh, or that Chris, just based on my limited knowledge of him and interacting with you guys, um, I would say that you guys are sincere in your disbelief against Christianity. Guys, thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed listening to you. I'd like to talk about that Shroud of Turin sometime. Yeah. Too. Maybe you guys will come back on and <laughs> yeah, argue about that. that a bit, or just argue about. But it, it was all Jesus-based, right? You guys want to yeah. maybe in the future talk about the, the historicity of Christ? Which we've done ad nauseum yeah. on the broadcast. Yeah, it's, it's a common thing. Yeah, it's been a while since I started. I remember being twelve, dude, and I saw something on coming on TV about the Shroud of Turin. I was so excited because I was raised a Christian. Mm. So excited, and I remember seeing it I, for a long time. That kind of plagued my mind. You know, I found it very fascinating. You sound like somebody we could talk about a lot of different. Yeah, yeah. I try to try to have a wide application. You know, it, it, it's all all truth is God's truth is the way I see it. So I like to. Even subjects I'm not knowledgeable, try your best. Let's get out there and learn the, the truth. So Thank you, Robert. Dale, okay. once again, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on here today. You can find Dale Glover's content on skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com and Chris Mallard at The Daily Atheist. He's all over YouTube. He's all over Facebook. Once again, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us on. I, I appreciate it as well. Thank you. Lots of fun. You guys are awesome.